All right, all right. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It's good to see each of you. Um, I know that I know a lot of y'all out there. There's others of you, perhaps this is your first time with us, and I have not had a chance to meet you yet. My name is Alan Pittman, and I have the pleasure of serving as the senior pastor here, as well as one of the elders. And we are absolutely thrilled that y'all are here to worship with us today, um, especially the front row. We're glad to see y'all. We are very happy that you're here to worship with us today, uh, whether it's your first time or your millionth time or what, somewhere in between. Um, if you're worshiping online, we would love to have you worship with us sometime in the building as well. I know that today's kind of a chilly day, but uh, hopefully next Sunday will work out. You can be here to worship with us. If you're a first-time guest, it would be helpful for us and hopefully for you if you took the time to fill out one of these uh, connection cards. Uh, it will just allow us to email you some information about the church, kind of give you updates and things like that. Not to hound you or pester you or things like that, but to hopefully be a blessing to you, to help you get connected to the church if this is where God is leading you to be. Um, and so you can just fill this out. There's also some spiritual decisions you can, any of us can mark on here and prayer requests on the back and stuff. And when the offering plates pass a little bit later in the service, you can drop that in there and the office will receive that from you. Hopefully when you came in this morning, you picked up a worship guide. It looks like this. On the back side is a place where you can take some notes as we go through the sermon. I'd encourage you to go ahead and grab a Bible if you've got one with you. If you don't have one with you, there should be a Bible near you, like in a chair beside you or underneath you or around you, something like that. Uh, grab that. There's a black hard copy of God's Word right there. You can use that during the service. If you or someone you know needs a copy of God's Word, uh, feel free to take that with you. That's our gift to you uh, this morning. We, um, well, before I say that, let me start with this. Have you ever watched a television show and you maybe watched it for years? Now, I'm showing my age when I say watching it for years because there was this thing back in the day, for those of you that are college age and younger, there was this thing back in the day where you had to wait for live television to come on and watch a show, right? And you had to wait a whole week before the next one came on, and then there'd be a break during Christmas, and you, you know, are you with me? Others of you, maybe you've watched a show, not necessarily for a lot of years, but you binged it and watched many hours of a show, and you get to the end of the show, the last episode, and, and can you relate with me? Almost every time that happens, as much as you love the show, you get to the last episode, and it's disappointing, it doesn't quite turn out. You're like, really? Like, I spent this many years of my life to watch Lost, and this is the show you have for me? So, uh, anyway, there's another show that might fit that category. I'm going to show my age here as well. It's a 90s show. That was back in the ancient 1900s. There was a 90s show. Uh, it was a hit called Seinfeld. And it ends with its four main characters sitting in a jail cell or a holding cell. That's how the show ends. This morning, we are finishing a story that we've not been on for years, but we have been on, as my good friend Cameron has pointed out to me in my D group, we have been on this for two years now. This weekend literally marks the second anniversary of us walking through the book of Acts. Now, before you think, oh my goodness, there's 52 weeks in a year, that means 104 sermons. No, I counted them just so I could let Cameron know. There are not 104 sermons on Acts because we took a break here and there. Today is actually the 65th sermon on the book of Acts, and today we finish Acts. So there you go. All right. And so just like Seinfeld, there's a lot of relief there, right? So just like on Seinfeld, although it's been a great book, um, on Seinfeld, it ends unusually with the main characters in a jail cell, the reality is today we will see the book of Acts similar, ends in a similar fashion. 
with the main character, human character, I should say, in a jail cell. The main character is God himself, the Holy Spirit. But the main human character that we've been walking with, Paul, is in a jail cell as we finish the story today. But the reality is, the reason the story finishes the way it does is to make a a, a point to us. And so I want to kind of walk through that today, that while the story has an odd and abrupt ending, there's a definite purpose in doing so. While this story of the life of Paul is coming to a technical end, it's actually only the beginning of the story, because the story of the book of Acts is... The story of the gospel going out, as you'll see in the title of the sermon, boldly and unhindered, and it's not simply about the work of God in and through Paul, but it's about the work of God in and through his people, the church. And so my encouragement is that as we finish the book of Acts this morning, that we would not look to Paul, but that we would look to Jesus, and that you and I as a church family and as individuals would go out and live out what we have seen in the book of Acts as we walk through it. If you've got your Bible handy, let's look at the end of Acts. It's chapter 28. We're going to be reading verses 28 through 31. And here's what Luke writes down for us. Verse 28 is Paul's words, and then there's a narration at the end. Here's what it says in verse 28. Paul says, Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. And then the summary says that Paul lived there in the prison, in the jail in Rome, two whole years at his own expense. And he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So anytime you study God's word and you see the word therefore in the text, you need to know why is therefore there. In other words, what's it there for? So I started in verse 28, and the first word is therefore. To understand what the therefore is about, we have to go back and read three verses that we read last week. And I want to read them to you again today. Verses 25 through 37, sorry, 25 through 27, it it shares the words of Paul here. Before I read them, let me set it up. Paul was preaching the gospel to the Jewish leaders of Rome while he was in jail in Rome And he says this to them as they begin to reject the message of God. Not all of them, but a vast majority of those leaders were rejecting God's message. Here's what it says, verses 25 through 27. About the, this this is about the Jewish leaders. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. And here's what Paul said. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet. And then he quotes from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. And it says this, go to this people. And say you will indeed hear but never understand, you will indeed see but never perceive. But for this people's heart has grown grown dull, and with their eyes they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, sorry I said ears earlier I think, and their eyes have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. What Paul is saying here is, that the leaders of the Jews and a lot of the Jews he had been preaching to had been guilty of what Isaiah says or God says through Isaiah in these verses and that is people will hear and I have it in quotations and they will see but they won't really understand right 
He says that the message of God's word has been communicated, and yet their dull hearts have completely caused them to totally miss the point. So, as a result of that, when we look at verse 28, therefore, he says, because the Jews had rejected the message of God, verse 28 says, I'm now, Paul says, going to go to the Gentiles and preach the gospel. We're going to talk a little bit in a moment about what that's all about and what he does and does not mean. And then as we read the last couple of verses, we see that Paul stays in at least two whole years in Rome in this prison cell. In reality, it's kind of a separate, apparently a separate housing unit, like a house or whatever that he is renting out, if you will, having to pay for as he's under house arrest. And he's in chains and, and waiting to see what happens as he appeals his case to Caesar. And yet he continues to preach the gospel. And that's where the story ends. I know what you may be thinking. Okay, what happens to Paul? Is this when he gets in the trial with Caesar and Caesar uh, repents of his sin and comes to know Christ? That isn't what happens. We know that from history. Uh, does he go into Caesar and does Caesar have him beheaded? We don't really think that happens quite yet. Does he get out and then get rearrested? Perhaps. We don't really know. There's some speculation on our part, and also some historians can tell us perhaps what happened. But I want us to focus just on this text because Luke, who wrote this down, who knew the story, who had been with Paul, he chooses through the work of the Holy Spirit in his life to stop the story by saying, Paul has been here for two years and he's still preaching. Why don't we have more details than that? I don't know for sure. I'm going to make some speculations in a moment. But as we go through, I want us, instead of worrying about why it finishes this way, let's see what the finishing this way seems to indicate and teach to us and what we can understand clearly. So on your notes and on the screen is kind of my whole thesis statement for the whole message today. And this is what it says. We are to boldly take the unhindered word of God to the nations. I think that that's the message of these four or five verses. I think it's actually the message of the entire book of Acts. I, I think it's the message of all of God's word that we are to come to know Jesus as our Savior so we can glorify him and that we are to likewise go out and point others to the hope that's found in Jesus and we can have confidence that his word is going to go out unhindered and we are to take it to the nations. You're like, Alan, that's great because you preach a sermon in a short synopsis. Stay with me because we're going to unpack that a little bit more as we go through. But that is the premise behind my message today. All of this, as I said, I think this kind of statement goes back to the very beginning of the book of Acts. If we were to go back, we're not going to necessarily do that. I'm going to look at one verse from chapter 1 in a minute. But if we were to turn back and start two years ago, like we did in the book of Acts, and we were to look at chapter 1, we would see this theme coming out from the very beginning. In chapter 1, verse 3, Jesus is, after his burial and death, death, I should say, death, burial, resurrection, he spends 40 days teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God. And then we come to this verse in verse 8, which is kind of the whole um, launching point for the book of Acts. And I want to go ahead and put that on the screen. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And I'm going to help us see that Jesus' words right before he ascended into heaven point towards the statement that I just shared with you that we're to boldly proclaim 
the word of God that's unhindered to the nations. And and this storyline that we see in chapter 1, verse 8, is the storyline of the account of the book of Acts as we move from place to place with the gospel going out. Here's what it says. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. Where? You're to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And we haven't left this command since we've been walking through the 28 chapters of Acts. And guys and gals, we have not left that command today. You see, this command is not written simply to the disciples that were in the, the area of the, the mountain as Jesus was getting ready to ascend into heaven and all within Jesus' earshot were called to do this. No, all disciples of Jesus Christ, all believers of Jesus Christ, all Christians from that point forward to today and beyond are to go and tell the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. The reason you and I are here today is because we are in that fourth category, and we receive the gospel as it made it to the ends of the earth, and we are to turn around and take the gospel everywhere as well. So these words are the storyline, not only of the book of Acts, but they're the storyline of our lives and our church's life. So I want to kind of take that original statement, we are to boldly take the unhindered word of God to the nations and divide that into three kind of sub-statements. And so each of those are the points on my outline on the paper as well as on the screen. So let's look at the first one. I'm not going to go in order. I'm going to kind of move it around because I want to end on a certain note just like the book of Acts does. The first one says this, boldly proclaim and teach. That's what we're called to do. We're to boldly proclaim and teach. Verse 31 makes that very point, that Paul was proclaiming the kingdom of God, he was teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was doing it with all boldness, and you and I have a responsibility to go out and preach, proclaim, and teach the name of Jesus as well. You see, our responsibility is to share the gospel message wherever we go. We don't have to get on a ship like Paul did and sail across to the Mediterranean to find a place to share the gospel there. No, we can actually get up out of the bed on a Monday morning and walk across the street and share the gospel with our neighbor. We can get in the car and drive to work or to school or to the ball field and we can find an opportunity to talk to someone about Jesus Christ. We can be at the checkout at H-E-B or, or Kroger and we can find a way to talk to someone about Jesus. We are called to boldly proclaim and teach the name of Jesus. I want us to look at both of those phrases, proclaim and teach. In verse 31, it says that Paul was proclaiming the kingdom of God. If we were to look at the uh, Greek word, the Greek word there is keruso, and the word keruso simply means to publicly proclaim something. It's to herald or announce good news. And so what he's saying is that what Luke says is that Paul was proclaiming or pronouncing or announcing the salvation of Jesus Christ. And that you and I are called to do the same. And when I say proclaim, it doesn't simply mean preacher, get up and preach. I'm saying all of us as we go throughout our lives are to publicly proclaim or herald the good news 
of Jesus Christ. That we're to share the gospel as a call to sinners to trust in Jesus for salvation. Another word we would use here is evangelism, that we are called to share the gospel. So let me talk for just a minute about what the gospel is. For me to say, hey, we're to go proclaim the gospel, and then for me to not turn around and proclaim the gospel would be short-sighted. So here's what the gospel is. The good news of Jesus Christ is this, that in spite of the fact that all of us are sinners rebelling against a holy, perfect God, in spite of the fact that because of our sin, all of us deserve death, both physical death, which we will experience, or and spiritual death, separation from God for all eternity. In spite of that truth, the reality is this at the same time, that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, that whoever would believe in him should not perish or die, but have everlasting eternal life through Jesus Christ. And the good news is that in spite of the fact that all of us are sinners against God, in spite of the fact that none of us can earn our way to God, in spite of the fact that we can't bribe God off, rather we can, through God's free grace, receive salvation and forgiveness of our sins if we repent or turn from our sins and trust in Jesus and Him alone. See, Jesus died on the cross in your place and in mine. And if I would trust in Him if I would believe that he died in my place, was resurrected on the third day, that I would receive salvation. That's the good news. And we're to go out and proclaim it to others. In addition to proclaiming the, the name of Jesus, it says that we are to teach in verse 31. Teach about the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the Greek word here is didasko, which means teach. Go figure. It means teach. That's why it's translated that way. But the word here means both teaching formally and informally. So there are times where formally you may teach. You may teach an equipping class. You may teach a hope group. We don't really have teachers, but you may you know, teach in that regard. You, you may be in a setting where you're formally sitting down with someone, discipling them in Jesus Christ. At the same time, it could be an informal role. All of us are called to teach others to follow Jesus. And with this, it carries with it the idea of training believers who have already trusted in Jesus training them in the teachings of Jesus Christ and instilling Christian doctrine into their life. Guys, I, I told you a moment ago that we're having a, um, a core class on Christian beliefs. And, and I don't want you to think, well, I don't want to take that because I'm not a theologian. I don't even know what the word means. I don't even know what doctrine is. I'm intimidated by it. The reality is, as we learned in the class last semester, everyone believes something about God and it may or may not be right so why shouldn't we sit down as followers of Jesus and learn correct doctrine so that we can live for him so we are to teach or train others to be a disciple in other words this is discipleship so with verse 31 proclaiming and teaching you have both pieces of what it means to make a disciple both evangelism and discipleship at our church we believe that God has called us to go and make disciples and in order for us to do that, we have to help people come to faith in Jesus Christ and then grow in that faith. All right, so it's not just that we should preach and uh, uh, proclaim and teach, but it says that we should do so boldly, with our all boldness. What is boldness? It means plainly, openly, confidently, unreservedly, ready to speak out in public. And so I want to ask you a couple of questions. They're not going to be on the screen, so you may want to jot them down on your sermon notes. A couple of questions with this uh, situation of boldly proclaiming and teaching. Here are my questions. Are you currently involved in both aspects of making disciples? What I mean by that is are you 
openly, actively involved in seeking to tell others the need for their salvation, evangelism? And are you actively involved in discipling others and being discipled by someone else? Are you involved in discipleship? And so that's a yes-no question, but obviously, if the answer is no, my intention is to say, what is it that you can do to be an active participant both in evangelism and discipleship, therefore being fully involved in making disciples? And then the second question I would ask is this, are you boldly doing this? In other words, I asked you, are you involved in making disciples, both evangelism and discipleship? And you might have said yes, but my question is, okay, are you, if so, are you doing so boldly? And if not, what is preventing you from doing so? Wherever the Lord has you in life, make him known. Ask the Holy Spirit to empower you with boldness that you might go out with confidence and boldness. So the first thing we see is that we're to proclaim and teach the name of Jesus. The second thing we see in a bold fashion, the second thing we see is that we're to do that to the ends of the earth. In verse 28, he talks about how the salvation is going to be going to the Gentiles. The word Gentiles here in the Greek is ethnos. And ethnos does mean Gentile, but it also can simply mean nations or people groups. And so it's not just the message should go just to the Gentiles. No, it should, should go to the, Greek, uh, the Jews as well. The gospel should go to the ends of the earth. We shouldn't stop preaching to anyone, but share the gospel with everyone. You might look at verse 28 and go, well, wait a minute, Alan. He says, because you haven't believed, I'm going to take the gospel now to the Gentiles. And so isn't Paul saying he's done with the Jews? Absolutely not. Did you know this is the third time Paul has said something similar? And did you know that, on this case, we don't see what he does after the fact because it kind of ends here. But on both of the other occasions when he says, all right, I'm going to go to the Gentiles now, he doesn't mean I'm going to go to the Gentiles and stop going to the Jews. He just means in addition to going to the Jews, I'm also going to go to the Gentiles because Paul understands the gospel is for everyone. It's our job and responsibility and privilege to take the gospel to any and every one. We are to preach the gospel. We're to continue to take the, nation, the gospel to all nations, and we're to take the gospel to all people groups. The last couple of weeks, we've got three of them left out in the entryway, but the last couple of weeks, I've talked about a prayer guide where we're praying for 52 weeks for different people groups around the world. The reason we're emphasizing that is because it's a reminder to us that the gospel must be proclaimed to every person and people group. Look down at verse 30. If you maybe wonder, okay, is Paul done with the Jews? Has he washed his hands of them? Is he maybe just focused on the Gentiles? Look at verse 30. Paul, or Luke records and says that Paul stayed there for two more years and he welcomed all who came to him. If you know anything about Paul, welcoming them does not just mean they sat down and had a cup of tea and they talked about football. No, he welcomed them in and he talked about Jesus and taught and proclaimed and preached and evangelized and discipled. And it says he welcomed all. This word all means all. It means Jews. It means Gentiles. It means anyone that darkened his door, he would share the gospel. You and I are called to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Because the gospel, the message of salvation is open to everyone. Not everyone will receive it, but it's open to everyone. We're to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, both geographically and ethnically and in every fashion that you can think of. 
Next Sunday morning, we're going to gather for worship again. And, and as a part of the worship service, we're going to pray over a team of, is it six or seven that's going? Seven. We're going to pray over a group of seven uh, men and women from our church that are going to, to Oregon. They're going to Portland to, to share the gospel and work with the ministry up there with Kaylee Vessels, who's one of our church members that's serving up there with college students, because we know that the gospel needs to go to the Northwest. Well, in, in the summer, we're going to take a group uh, to Guatemala and we did that last summer, and we're going to do it again this summer. And there's a, there's a meeting that's coming up. Hopefully that's going to come up on the screen. There's a meeting coming up on next Sunday. There we go. There's a meeting, uh, no, not next Sunday, two Sundays from today. We're going to discuss this upcoming trip to Guatemala. Because we know the gospel and the discipleship process needs to go to Guatemala as well. If you're interested in being a part of that mission team, please make plans to be here on Sunday, February the 4th, after the service. And it all stems from the fact that we're to take the gospel and preach and teach and disciple to the ends of the earth. So you and I, if you're a part of our church family, if you're a follower of Jesus, we probably have verbally assented to the fact that, yes, the gospel is for everyone. But the reality is, even when we say that it's for everyone, our thoughts and our actions can say otherwise. Let me run through a few examples where even though we might verbally assent to the fact that the gospel is for everyone, our thoughts, behaviors, and actions may indicate otherwise. So here's a question that I'm going to ask you, and then I'll give you some points underneath it. Who are the people in your life that you think the gospel isn't really for? Who are the people in your life that you act as if the gospel isn't really for them. Did you know the first answer that came to my, to my mind is yourself? Who is it in your life that you think the gospel's not for? Some of you in this room, you think the gospel isn't for you. I mean, I'm a good person. My grandpappy was a pastor. I've been a Christian since nine months before I was born. I've been to Sunday school every time. I got the uh, championship trophy at Awana. I won the Bible drill. You're like, what is a Bible drill? We'll talk later if you don't know what that is. I won the Bible trivia contest. I, okay, others of you like, I'm not really those things. I'm not really into, into religion. But the big man upstairs, he and I, are, we're good. We're good. We figured this thing out a long time ago. Guys, the gospel is for every one of us. We can't earn our way to salvation. We can't be good enough. Our lineage or heritage doesn't get us there. Don't get me wrong, mamas and daddies have an important role to raise their children to love Jesus, but you don't get in on your proverbial mama and daddy's shirt tails or apron strings, right? You, you, you trust in Jesus as your Savior. Others of you may think, you know what, Alan, that's not where I am at all. And I'm a despicable, horrible person. I've done some really bad stuff. I'm too far gone. I, God can't forgive somebody like me. The gospel is for all of us. Stop thinking and acting otherwise. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? Have you followed him 
but with baptism? Are you living in the reality of the gospel still applying to your life even 20 years after salvation? Because just as you didn't earn his love for salvation, you don't maintain his love by your good actions. Rather, because you are following him, you're obediently following him, and therefore the obedience is not to earn his goodwill, but rather because of his goodwill towards you. The gospel is for you. Let me keep moving. Somebody else that you may think that the gospel is not for, and this might be some of you that are empty nesters, maybe some of you think that the gospel isn't for your child anymore. I mean, you tried to raise them to love Jesus, but they seem to have never gotten it. You've forgotten to trust Jesus that he is the one that will draw your child to himself and not you. Others of you, you may think, well, I'll tell you somebody that I don't think the gospel's for. That's my enemy. Like they've done, stabbed me in the back too many times. I don't know why I said it that way. But anyway, you're acting as if your enemies don't deserve God's grace. Did you know that you don't deserve God's grace either? Others of you may be people from different socioeconomics than you. Could be people of different ethnicities. You're like, no, 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 I would not say another ethnic group does not deserve to go to heaven. But I would say, but are you actively engaged in praying for and serving and getting to know people of other ethnicities? Could it be that people from other countries or other religions are too far gone? Don't get me wrong, no other religion No other belief system gets you to heaven other than trusting in Jesus as your Savior. But that doesn't mean that we disregard people that are in other non-Bible-based religions as if they are already too far gone. Could be that it's somebody that votes differently than you. Did you know that salvation is available even for Democrats and Republicans both? And let me get you with this one. I didn't write it down, but I want to go ahead and say it. One that's the hardest for me to get my thick head around, but did you know that the gospel's even for Eagles fans? I mean, I know a couple of Eagles. There we go. (laughs) The reality is this. If we're not careful, we act as if the gospel's not for everyone. Here's one more question on this subject. How and where is God calling you to actively participate in taking the gospel to the ends of the earth? Could be that he's calling you to pray could be that he's calling you to give to mission offerings like Lottie Moon Christmas offering. It could be that he's calling you to to encourage someone that's going on a mission trip. could be that he's calling you to help fund a mission trip. If you're interested in helping pay for some of those that are going to Oregon, you can get online and you can give towards that. If you want to give towards those that are going to Guatemala, it could be, if, if you know our missionary friends in another place around the world by the name of Jeff and Rachel, it could be that you need to send a care package their way. Or, you know, I don't know exactly how God's calling you, but it could be this that god may even be calling some of you to pick up and move and leave from college station and go to another culture and live out the gospel somewhere else what are you doing to actively engage in taking the gospel around the world i want us to finish just like luke does with the confidence and this is my last point on the outline that nothing can thwart God's plan. And let me say it again. We are to boldly proclaim and teach. We are to go to the ends of the earth, and we can do all of that knowing that nothing can thwart God's plan. So that's the last point.
today. Look down at verse 31. The last two words of verse 31 in the ESV is without hindrance. Some translations, it may say the word unhindered. You're like, what is that all about? I'm glad you asked me. Let's walk through it. In the Greek, it's only one word. It's not two words. Without hindrance is actually one word stuck together. It's kind of got, uh, um, a, oh my goodness, a combined word, whatever I'm trying to say here. And I'm not a grammar person, as you can tell. Um, and compound, there we go. I think I heard somebody say it. Thank you. I think Katie Moody may have told me that. Compound word, right? So it's one word in the Greek. And this word is found only one time. I think I say this word hapax. It's spelled H-A-P-A-X, which means it only shows up once in the text. In the New Testament, the word unhindered only shows up one time, and it's right here. So what do we know about this word? What is meant by this? And how does it tie into this idea of nothing can thwart God's plan? For it to say that Paul was able to preach unhindered or without hindrance means that he was free to share the gospel. He wasn't restricted by anything or anyone. You're like, wait a minute. He was in chains. When's the last time you saw Paul hindered by being in prison to preach the gospel? Nothing slows this man down. See, all throughout the book of Acts, nothing stopped him from preaching. He's had verbal warnings. He's had stoning and beatings. He's had arrests. He's had jail sentences. He's had a shipwreck. And the list goes on from there. Yes, he's in chains, but why should or would he change things now? He continues to preach the gospel. But I don't want you to sit here and go, oh my goodness, Paul is an amazing dude. He preached unhindered. No, I don't think the emphasis is on the fact that Paul was unhindered. I think the emphasis is that that the word of God is unhindered. And let me explain by that. See, this story is not about Paul. This is not Paul's biography. This story is about God. It's about the Word of God, the Kingdom of God, the Gospel, and that all of these things, which are actually one and the same, have all triumphed. It's not Paul that triumphs in the end, it's God who triumphs. Several times throughout this series, you've heard me say, nothing can thwart God's plan. Over and over, the pages have been drenched with God's sovereignty and His providence in every aspect of this story. The same is still true today. There's absolutely nothing, there's absolutely no one that can thwart God's plan today. You see, I believe that the Holy Spirit led Luke to finish with this word so that it would be the emphasis and the last thing we remembered and that as we walk away from the story of the book of Acts, which is the story of the Holy Spirit working through his church to take the gospel to the ends of the world, that we would see not Paul's name, not what happened to him, did he die or did he not, but we would see that God's word is unhindered. His word does not return to him void. It accomplishes what it goes out to accomplish. The fate of Paul is secondary to the fact that the gospel is is unstoppable. You see, Paul was bound in chains. God's word is unbound. Paul was hindered, but God's word was not hindered. God's word goes forward triumphantly. You see, the gospel is triumphant. You and I are called to be faithful witnesses, and we can do so boldly and confidently because we know it's not about us, It's about his word, and his word is unstoppable. See, we're to keep pressing in. We're to keep sharing the gospel. We're to continue to trust the gospel and that God is the one who brings the harvest, not us. 
Earlier in the message, I said that it's our responsibility to proclaim and teach. And then I said that we can boldly do that because God is with us and his word is not stoppable. It is unstoppable. The word of God grows and it spreads regardless and sometimes in some ways because of crises that hit the church and opposition from outside. Absolutely nothing Absolutely nothing should keep us from sharing the gospel and discipling people and making disciples to the ends of the earth because God's word is unhindered. All too often, you and I try to shortchange the gospel. All too often, you and I try to domesticate the message of the gospel. It is untamed. It is unstoppable, not because of anything that you and I do, but because of who God is. If God, and I use the word if here meaning since, okay? If God created this world and this universe out of nothing, what can stop his word? If God made us as humans to live on this planet and live out stewardship that he's given to us, what can stop him? If this God set aside Moses to lead his people out of Egypt in spite of what they were facing and he brought deliverance what is going to stop God if the people of, of Israel got to the Red Sea and the Red Sea didn't stop them but God parted the water not Moses then what is going to stop his word God said that he is calling us as followers of Jesus to go out and boldly proclaim and teach the gospel to the ends of the earth. And we can do that knowing that it's on him and his word is not stoppable. So here's the deal. Another way to say it, using that last word in the Greek, is that God's word is unhindered. But all too often... You and I inadvertently try to hinder the progress of the gospel. Here's some ways that you and I can hinder the, or try to. It's unsuccessful, but we can try to. We can try to set limits on what Christ can do. Oh, he can save this person, but he can't save that. Oh, this person's too far gone. Uh, this person's unworthy. We, we can set limits on what God can do. Some of us hinder the work of God in our lives by shrinking back. Like, I'm not going to preach. I'm not going to teach. I'm not going to share with my neighbors. Some of us try to hinder God by making excuses. I don't really know enough. Like, I got to go to 14 of those equipping classes before I can go tell others about Jesus. Don't get me wrong. Go to an equipping class. But don't wait till the 14th one because that'd be seven years worth before you share the gospel. Don't say, I've got to be discipled for... A decade before I can make disciples. No, we are called to make disciples. We need proper theological foundation work and understand God's word so that we can do it faithfully. But the reality is this, we are to disciple as we go through life always. We're to be discipled and make disciples. Let me ask a few questions in this unhindered section. Number one says this, is the message of Jesus and his kingdom going forth in your life what i mean is are you doing anything that would be hindering god's work in and through your life it's not going to hinder god's work totally because he's sovereign and his word will get out but i'm saying are you an active participant engaged in the taking of god's word out is the message of jesus in his kingdom going forth in your life and then my last question is this 
What hindrances are keeping you silent? Could it be your time or your money or relationships or circumstances or your thoughts? What is it that is hindering you from following the call of God to go out and boldly proclaim and teach to the ends of the earth, believing that his word is unhindered? We've come to the end of this book of Acts. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to do kind of a standalone as we think about what it means to be a disciple, make disciples, be the church of the glory of God. And then in three weeks, we're going to start, or two weeks from today, or whatever it is, in a few weeks, we're going to start a series on the book of Micah. But as we finish up the book of Acts this morning, I want us to think about this. While what Luke has written down for us in the book of Acts, while Luke's writing has reached its end, this is only our beginning. While Paul's story, as we read here, is, and his journey has reached an end, it's the beginning of our journey. You see, God's not through with the church. We're to live out what we've seen and we've learned in the book of Acts. If we spent the last two years to study the book of Acts, and now we know it intellectually, but it's not resonated and impacted our lives, and we're not going out to share the gospel around the world, then we have missed the point. So as individuals and as a church collectively, we have been called to live out what we've seen and learned in the book of Acts. Going back to two years ago today, in that very first sermon, I said something like this. That instead of the title of the book being called Acts, or sometimes it's lengthened to be called the Acts of the Apostles, perhaps instead of it being called the Acts of the Apostles, this book should be called the Acts of the Risen Christ through the Holy Spirit working through the church. And as we come to the end of the book of Acts, as a church, we should be asking the Holy Spirit to empower us as individuals and as a group, to go out to the ends of the earth to share said gospel. You see, the mission of Acts continues. This is the end of what's written here, but the Acts of the Holy Spirit in and through His church continues until Jesus comes back. And so I'm saying, church, let's go Let's go out into our cities, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our homes, in our church family, in our discipleship groups, in our equipping classes, in the places that we serve, in the, on the ball fields that we go to, on the mission trips we go to, to the family dinners we get together with, to our conversations with our neighbors, to our conversations with strangers, in our prayer and thought life. Let's go out and be the church. And to be the church necessitates preaching and teaching and training and learning and growing and sharing all of that with everyone we come in contact with, knowing that God's word is never hindered. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, we come to you now. God, you've challenged us over the last couple of years as we've walked through this book of Acts. You've challenged us to consider what it looks like to be the church. We've seen it lived out in front of us as we've read the examples of the early church and as we've seen the apostles go out and share the 
gospel and live it out as they did so in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And yet, God, we know this is not a dead book. It's a living and active book, meaning that we're to glean from this the information that we need to then go out and do likewise. Father, I pray that this morning you would call people unto yourselves, those who have acted as if the gospel doesn't apply to them, and that today would be the day of salvation as they trust in you for salvation. God, I pray that you would call people to get out of the seats and to do something with the faith that they have, to share it with others, to proclaim it and teach it, that you would drive us to discipleship opportunities, you'd sign us up for equipment classes, you'd Uh, encourage us to become members of the church that you'd send us out on mission trips that you might even call some of us to be missionaries or pastors god may you do your work in and through us and may we have confidence that your work will never be hindered and that we therefore can trust confidently and walk out boldly living out what you've called us to do may we be the church that you've called us to be it's in jesus name that i pray amen just a moment i'll have you stand and when i do there'll be a couple songs that we sing it'll be a chance of response you can respond in both of the songs in any way that god may be leading you to respond i'll be available at the front if you'd like to pray with me you can bring somebody to pray with you you can pray at the altar you can pray at your seat you can worship as we sing you can jot down in your connection card the step you're taking you can get your offering ready to give you can just thoughtfully pray about your next step you might even pull out your uh, church center app and sign up for an equipping class whatever god is leading you to do say yes to him this morning don't try to hinder him he wants to do his work in and through you if you need to know who jesus is if you need to know what salvation is all about what this gospel is i'm available to talk as well would you stand with me during the second one the offering plate will be passed you can use that if you have anything to drop in it let's worship this morning and let's respond as god leads us let's sing